0: tonight. Um, let's see, get this lopsided here a little bit. You know, I, I don't know. Am I on? Is it on? Yeah, I'm on here. Yes, okay. So, can you can hear me back there? Okay. I, um, thank you for letting me come. I mean that. It's an honor to be a Brother Hooker, and, and I have really anticipated this time with you. I, um, I was just in Canada, had a, an incredible meeting up there, uh, it's hard to find churches up in Canada, and there's one up there that God's doing something very unique through, and uh, so I enjoyed that, and now I get to come here, and, and, uh, and then next week I'll be in the Cayman Islands. Do, do, I have to suffer for Jesus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you got to understand, we, you know, four Sundays ago, it was negative 28 at my church, and the windchill was 40 below. And uh, so this is—I've been burning up since I've been here. I—I I, I just thank the Lord that, that uh, we got to meet, Brother and Miss Hooker, many years ago, and and our hearts were knit together. And, and uh, so, I'm going to talk to you about some things on the table back there, and I want you to know that the things on my table—they are selected. In other words, um, they are on there with a real divine purpose behind it. And so let me talk to you about some of it. This here is called Understanding and Combating the Weapons of Satan. You're going to find out. I'm really transparent. I went through two bouts of depression in, since 2012. Uh, went way down into a hole twice and lasted six to eight weeks during those times. There were moments I didn't, couldn't see my way out. Um, now people kind of got critical of me and i don't care about that uh, but, uh, but uh, meaning that here i am helping people and i got depressed uh, well anyway it uh, doesn't matter what you think about that is um, this series came out of that six lessons out of that and um, i uh, so that's just something that i talked to you about uh, there is a series better called depression it's just two two cds this is six Uh, That was before I went into depression. This is afterwards, so. Before I went in, I said, suck it up, build a bridge, and get over it, but I don't do that no more. I've never done that, really. This one here is called Closing the Doors. That's what we're going to do this week, is we're going to talk about Closing the Doors, but also inside this series, I threw a bunch of other stuff together, 10 Ways We Give Place to the Devil, and then we have in here cutting and eating disorders. We have so so many different disorders and I deal with cutting and the reason why I deal with cutting is I have a home for troubled boys and girls. we have had 650 boys and girls from 47 states and 5 foreign countries go through my home and uh, so I've worked a long time with them. I may talk a little bit more about my home later but and then I deal with the foundation of schizophrenia and then I deal with in here helping people out of sensual sins. In the back of this, it's all DVD. In the back, I put it on MP3 so you can play it on your computer, okay? So I did all that. That's a series back there on the table. And then back there is this one here called To the Court or To the Cross or another series. And here's Legalism versus Lasciviousness. And I would really encourage you is we have churches today that are full of legalism and it's killing them. And then we got churches that people responding to legalism, they go way over here and they're full of lasciviousness. And someone said to me, Well, you mean that there needs to be a balance? You don't balance two evils. Legalism is the flesh, and lasciviousness is the flesh. You don't balance them. There's a higher calling than legalism and lasciviousness. And really, the truth, if you name it, is the calling of grace. And so I deal with that. This one here, to the quarter, to the cross, I deal with unforgiveness. Because every time you have something in your heart against somebody and you hold on to that, then what happens is you take them to court in your own heart. And you're the judge, you're the jury, and you're the prosecuting attorney. And it's a terrible thing to live in a courtroom. I've been in enough courtrooms. You don't know how things are going to turn out. Everything's unsettled all the time you're in a court case. That's what happens when you refuse to take the issue of being offended to the foot of the cross. And I want to tell you, there's no freedom in a courtroom. but There's freedom at the cross. Amen? Amen? And then this one here is called Facing and Accepting Adversity, and I want to talk to you about these things tonight on purpose. So in the Facing and Accepting Adversity is one of my favorite series, because I personally believe that God's people are not informed, or maybe uh, they don't really understand how to embrace their adversity. And because of that, when adversity comes, they fall out of the race. And we know in the last days, the Bible says there'll be a falling away, and I believe there are three reasons why people fall away. One is because of worldliness. They want to go the way of the world. Number two, I believe that a lot of people fall away because of false teaching. Number three, I believe because of the misunderstanding of adversity. Now, in fundamentalism, most of the time, we think the reason why most people leave the church is because of liberalism and false teaching. It's not true. Most people, good people, have good doctrine and fall away from church because they don't know how to embrace the adversity that God has ordered up for their life. Right, and so they get mad at God or mad at the church. And so I deal with adversity there. And then I have in here maintaining freedom, how to maintain freedom. Then I do one called why people, some people never get help. Have you ever wondered that? Well, you know, you give them truth, give them truth, and why they don't get help. And there's several reasons why. And we put that on DVD and also CD, uh, MP3 in the back. There's also, all this is on CD if you don't want DVD. This one here is called, It's All in the Head. You ever had someone come up to you and say, that's all in your head? Well, tell them it's true. It is all in your head. The Bible talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Now, where, where are thoughts? Tell me. That's right. Where are thoughts? There you go. Okay. Where's, and, then, and then knowledge exalts. Where's knowledge? It's in your head. Somebody you else was still trying to figure that out. It's, the answer is it's all in the head. Okay, and then, in where are imaginations? And then strongholds, if those three are in the head, then strongholds are in the head. And the battlefield between Satan and you is your mind. And every day of your life, your mind is challenged. Every day of your life, Satan, if he can control your mind, then he's got the best of you as a believer. He can't have your spirit because it's been sealed up until the day of redemption. But your soul, and I understand this, is made up of your mind and your emotions, and that's where he attacks you. Yes. This one's called the treasures of darkness. I won't talk much about that, but there are two types of darkness. One darkness is a terrible darkness, a, dark, a spirit of darkness. The devil, is the, his kingdom is the kingdom of darkness. But there's another darkness that I've, I've been in, and in that darkness, I was able to find treasures in that darkness. And that means that darkness was a good darkness. Amen? And then this one here is called War Changes Everything. This is the, fir- this is the last one I, I've just put out. Because through those times of depression and some battles that I've had, I'm talking about legal battles, people attacking, trying to sue, and all kinds of things, I began to, I believe, suffer with what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. And then it began to dawn on me. I think many of God's children don't know what they're suffering with. They're suffering with the same thing that someone that goes to Afghanistan and comes home, or came to, went to Vietnam, came home, and they're trying to. And we don't even title it as post-traumatic stress disorder, and yet they are. And war changes everything about your life. <clears throat> you know what war did for me? It challenged my belief system. When I was depressed, it challenged everything I believed. Amen. Yeah. I mean, you know what it challenged all things work together for good? It challenged that. You say, did you doubt it? Yes. War will change you. It'll change your perspective. It'll change your priorities. And there's all kinds of things. What I did was there's a war manual I got hold of that helped me with that one. This is the authority of the believer. It's a small booklet, and it tells you about your authority in Christ against the demonic powers. For instance, a state patrolman steps out into the highway. And he puts his hand up and, and points to a diesel truck and goes like that. Now, which one of those, the truck or d- him, has more power? Now, the truck has more power, right. but he has more authority. Satan has more power than I have, but I've got more authority. Right. The state patrolman can de- demand that, whatever that is, with more power to pull over because of the authority that's been conferred upon him by the state. As a believer, the Bible says, He says that you might know in Ephesians, He says that you might know what uh, the power that's been bestowed. It doesn't say bestowed, but uh, that's been given unto us who believe. And there's an authority that's been given to us as believers. And if we don't understand that, then the devil will lie to you. You're constantly a victim instead of a victor. And then this one's called The Battle is the Lord. It's a small little booklet here, and it's about how to put the armor of God on. I won't talk much about that. It's a neat little concept. And then this book here is We Wrestle Not One. There is one more, We Wrestle Not Number Two, back there. And if anybody's Spanish and wants We Wrestle Not One in Spanish, it's back there. But this one here has about everything that I'm going to do this week inside of this one right here, okay? And it's got a whole lot more than what I'll do this week, okay? Now, um... Again, my name is Marvin Smith, I, I was saved in 1964, uh, I was eight years old, my grandfather led me to Christ in the Baptist Church, and he was a preacher, and, uh, and then in 1974, God called me to preach, and then in 1975, I graduated from high school, I didn't go to Bible college, I hooked up underneath a man of God that, that took me under his wing and discipled me and mentored me, and uh, I got married in 1976 and then uh, we started taking people into our home Uh, two weeks after we got married we found a man living in a car and so my wife and i took him in our home and then after that as soon as he moved out six months by the way he is a professor at a a baptist bible college now Uh, isn't that amazing amen all wiryed out long hair and little wire frame glasses look like uh anyway look like a bush amen And, and and now he's a bible professor and And then we had uh, a couple come in uh, that were on drugs, and we never planned to do that. It wasn't like, you know, hey, honey, wouldn't it be needed if we let people live with us two weeks after we got married, amen? (laughs) But but we never quit doing that. And so for 17 years, we had people living in our home in Missouri. That's where we were at at that time. And then we moved up to Fort Dodge, Iowa, and said, we're not going to do that anymore. And so Marvin was Tim, my son, and my daughter Jamie was 12. And we said, we're not going to do that anymore. And so we moved there and we found a girl out door knocking. She was 16 years old. She had to get out of the place she was living. And so we took her in our home. And, uh, and then we decided it's just time to open a home for troubled kids. And so we did that. And because of that, the Lord... Um, Some people call it a calling. Maybe it was a calling. I don't know. But because now it's been um, many, many years—obviously, 41 years—we've been taking people in, and because of that, working with them, we begin to understand that a lot of people uh, they struggle and they never seem to get freedom. And we, and they go to church and they go to Sunday school and they do a lot of things we tell them to do, but they never seem to really get freedom. you, You, throw that up there for me. Thank you so much. And so uh in our journey we began to put together material and this one here the introduction of this closing the door is called pumping to survive versus experiencing freedom and i'm going to explain that to you what happened was our staff got together this was many years ago probably uh 1998 let's see i took my daughter-in-law she was a runaway from la not as my daughter-in-law she was a teenager then but uh, she was a runaway from L.A., and, and they sent her out to me to help her, and, and she was one of the first ones I ever took through this material. So that's how old it is. So it's been many years. But our staff was uh, meeting together, and as we were talking, we, we thought in our minds, we see so many people that are religious. I'm talking about people like you. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying people that look like you, people that go to church, go to Baptist Church, carry King James Bible. And we, under, we began to see them pumping to survive instead of really walking in freedom. And so uh, we came up with this concept. Let's just say that um, if this thing's going to work for me. Uh, it was working earlier. Uh, let's see here. It was working earlier. Unplug it and replug it back up. Would you please do that for me? It's just like that. That's the way it goes. Give me just a minute. We had it going. Is there another slot on that computer, another one you can plug in? Okay, it's not working up here, though. So it's not this. It's back there then. Okay. That's good, because it's not me. and that's, I like that. There you go. Thank you. Brother Hooker walked back in the power of God. Just, <laughs> whoa, man. Power. So um, so let's just say, my wife and I, we come home, and, and we look down in our basement, and my wife screams. She says, Marvin, there's water in the basement. And I say to her, don't worry about it, sweetheart, because I'm, I'm that type of guy. Not really. No, really, I'm not. I'd have to call my son-in-law. And uh, But I'd say, don't worry about it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go out I'm going to rent a pump, and we're going to pump the water out the, of out the basement, out the window. Now, someone, uh, let me f- go further. As I'm pumping the water out the basement window, I notice there's, there's a faucet over here in the corner. It gets so low, I notice a faucet running in the basement. Now, think with me for a moment. Someone with really high intelligence, okay? okay? Someone with really high intelligence. Now, once you to raise your hand. Someone tell me uh, what I should do you got raise your hand, okay? Three, four intelligent people in the back. That's more than usual. Um, okay, yes, sir. Turn the, water off. Turn the water off, exactly. But you know what? When we first got into this and we looked down the basement steps, you know what we saw? We thought the problem was there's water in the basement. But you know this? That's not the problem, okay? That's not the problem. Right. The problem is there's a faucet running in the basement. The water is evidence there's a problem. And so often in our counseling, in our ministries, we attack the evidence of the problem, but we don't actually get to the cause of the problem. And so then what happens is we run people through what I call the five-point gauntlet of counseling. So we we say to these people, you know, let's just back up here and just say a couple comes in your office, preacher or uh, pastor, right? youth pastor, and, and uh, Brother Matt, or any of you, a friend comes in, they're, they're struggling in their marriage, or they're on drugs, or they're on alcohol, it really doesn't matter what the problem is, I don't really care, it, it could be anything, and, and, and so we, we say to them, here's what we do, we say, let me ask you this, how's your prayer life? And they go, well, it stinks, you know, my wife and I are fighting all the time, and, and really our prayer life's going out the door, and, and isn't that what happens whenever our, our marriage is uh, in turmoil? And then we go, okay, well, man, if you start praying, there's your problem. And then we'd say something like this, uh, how's your church life? Well, we, we don't go on Wednesday night, and we quit going on Sunday morning, and we kind of come in late on Sunday morning, to, and we slip out, we don't come back and, and on Sunday night. And, and so we say, you need to get your church life in order, there's, that's the problem. And then we come back with this one here. Are you tithing? You know, you don't want to curse on your life. And you and I know this, that one of the first things people stop doing when things aren't right, they quit giving. Amen? And then we, we tell them, are you going soul winning? Now, isn't that a silly thing for us to ask them that? Because Jesus is not even working in their home. And then we're going to tell them that they need to go out and tell about Jesus that's not even working in their home. You see what I'm saying? And that's, that's one of the big mistakes that we do. So we're, we tell them what you need to do is perform and, but, and really, in no other words, fake it. And so we're telling them, pump to survive. And then we come along with this, one: are you in the word? And obviously they're not in the word. And so we go, my goodness, that's your problem. If you start praying and going to church, start tithing and go soul winning and read your Bible, you know, your problems, that, that's why you're like you are. And so what do they do? That We pray with them and they go out and for about two, or three weeks, you notice they come out for soul winning and, and they're coming to prayer meeting, they're back in Sunday school. And in our mind, we fix them. And then, But you know what happens is just a few weeks later, all of a sudden they're off the radar again. We can't find them. And so we go visit them. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. It's worse than ever before. I mean, she's already filed for divorce. And well, you know what? You're screaming and cussing and, and you don't come home at night. And so what do we do? We run them back in the office and we run them through the five point gauntlet again. And then it could be just a couple months later, they're back to doing that stuff again. And so what we're doing is we're training them to pump, to survive, then to experience real freedom. Now, here's the neat thing. When I saw this, the Lord revealed this to me, that a lot of my Christian life early on was pumping to survive. But now that I've got freedom, watch this here. I don't pray, go to church, tithe, sow, and read my Bible to have freedom, though it helps me. Amen. But guess what? I do it because I'm freed up to do it now. And what it is? Return the table on this thing. It no longer is a performance-based Christianity. It's really a, a a Christianity that's based totally on I got free, and the truth has made me free, and now I'm free to go tell people about Jesus. And and you then you love to tell people about Jesus, Amen. Instead, I gotta go out soul winning because you know they got the guilt trip last week. You know, and, you know what I mean, and, and so. So we kind of work people because we can't seem to get them to do what we want them to do. But the reason why they can't do what they should do is because they're in bondage, and that's God's people. They live in a lot of bondage, and there's probably bondage in this room tonight. And so, if we get the faucet off and get the basement cleaned up, then you know what? Them things are, are right now, and so. Let's move on here, talking about understanding the foundation for counseling. And this all ties together, okay? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, And God said, Let us make man, it says, in our image and after our likeness. Now, when he talks about our likeness and our image, so there's there's plurality there. Someone's talking to somebody. And what it is, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And they're taking counsel together, and they're going to create man. And they said, when we do this, let's create man like we are in our image. Now, you and I know this, that he's not talking about his physical being. God's a spirit. Amen? And so he's not talking about you look like God on your outside. No, because you you say, well, what what do you mean we're after his image? Sure, we look like God. Well, you don't look like me, and I don't look like you. So I know I'm like God, so you're not. (laughs) Huh? So it's not the outside man. Amen? Everybody here is different. So what is it? God says, really, I want to make you like me, and God is a triune being. The Bible tells us this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, And the the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when God made us, he made us a spirit, a soul, and a body. Everybody believe that? Amen. So we are triune beings, just like God. And the, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of you. The Bible says that, that, don't you know that you're the temple of God? You're the living temple of the Holy Ghost now dwells inside of you. Isn't that good? Amen. Amen. Now, when you got saved, it was just like the Old Testament tabernacle. It was a triune part. It was the outer court, it was the inner court, it was the holy of holies, amen? And that's how God made us. He made us an outer court, which is our body, an inner court, which is our soul, and a holy of holies is our spirit. And when I got saved in 1964, the spirit, the Shekinah glory, like on the tabernacle, it came down, it came through there, swept through my outer court, swept through my inner court, and it landed on the holy of holies. And your holy of holies is your spirit, and that's where God abides. When you say, Jesus, come into my heart, what does that mean? You really mean that the same spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead came to live inside of you, and now all of God lives inside of you. And when we say, all of God lives inside of you, that's an incredible thought. Right. You say, what do you mean? Let me give you just a real quick thought on this. that all, all of God lives in you. In other words, you didn't get God in pieces. You got all of God. In fact, The Bible tells us, according to Peter, says that when you got saved, you received the very divine nature of God. The Bible says we are partakers of His divine nature. Everybody understand that? So Marvin Smith stands before you having the entire divine nature of God. I am a partaker of His divine nature. You don't believe that? You don't believe in the Bible. And then guess what else? I not only have the divine nature of God, I've got the mind of Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says? That Now you have the mind of Christ. Isn't that what it says? So Marvin Smith has the capacity to, to live by the very divine nature of God. I have the capacity to think like God. Amen. I mean, I'm, isn't that true? Yeah. Amen? But not only that, it goes further than that. The Bible tells us this, is that um, the Bible says that the Apostle Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Someone says, how did Paul do all that he did? Where did he get all that faith? He gets it from the same place you got it. You literally have the faith of the Son of God. Paul said he lived by the faith of the Son of God. He didn't say he lived by his faith, he lived by the faith of the Son of God. Now that changes everything for me. Because what it changes is, it's no longer I, but Christ. That lives in me. That's what it says, amen. amen? It's no longer me, but it's Christ living in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So I can think like Christ, I have the divine nature of Christ inside of me, and I have the faith of the Son of God. And there's a whole list of things besides having the same spirit that Jesus Christ had, crying, Abba, Father, out of Him is in me. And so that's a wonderful thing, Amen. And the Spirit came in. The Bible says that, that, we, that our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. Do you understand what that means? That means this. This really means this. It means when it says renewed, it's the same word that we have our word revival comes from. In other words, God just told you the moment that you got saved, you have the capacity to have a new revival every day of your life go on inside of you. And now that's what I said. Some of y'all are like, seriously, I've never heard that. Well, that's what the, read your Bible. That's what it says. It says that the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. That means I have the capacity to have a daily revival today. And tomorrow I have the capacity to have my spirit renewed then too. Amen. You know what I'm doing? I'm tearing down all the reasons why you're living in the flesh. I'm tearing down all the reasons because here's what people say. But well, You don't understand, preacher. You know we're just flesh. Well, who told you you were just flesh? If you're just flesh, that means you never got saved. Good. Good. You say, yeah, but the flesh is so strong. Yeah, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. See, somewhere or another, we've magnified the power of the flesh instead of the power of the Spirit in God's children's life. And so what's done is given us a license to go ahead and, have, to go ahead and sin and say we got a good reason we sinned. Why don't we go ahead and say this, I'm in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I have the Spirit of God. i got the faith of the Son of God. I have the divine nature of God. I have the mind of Christ. Then why in heaven's name wouldn't I go ahead and say, I, he, then I have more, really, more strength in Him than in the flesh. I hope that makes sense to you. And then this is your heart. This is when you say, Jesus, come in my heart. It's really Spirit of God, come into my heart. Your spirit is the heart of the man. And so this is uh, that red area right there. I was going to do the, the pointer, but it doesn't work on TVs. Uh, the red area has been sealed up until the day of redemption. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. In other words, nothing can interrupt that work right there. Okay. Now, this, your soul is made up of your mind. That's how you think. It's made up of your emotions. That's how you feel. And it's made up of your will. That's the choices you make. So here's what God did. God, figured, God made you this way. So there's a divine process that he has. And so here's what, before you got saved, you you operate in the flesh of your mind. Amen? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. I'm trying to think of the scripture right offhand here. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says that we used to walk according to the flesh, uh, the lust of our flesh and mind. And so, but now we got the mind of Christ, right? So as we begin to allow the mind of Christ, as Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as I get into the word of God, it begins to really ignite the mind that I have in Christ. And so as I think like Christ, then guess what? I begin to feel like Jesus Christ. And when I feel like Jesus Christ, I begin to act like Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? So here the devil knows that, okay? So what does he do? He attacks your mind. And he wants you to think in your old mind. And if you think in your old mind, then guess what? You have, if you think in the sinful mind, so he'll attack your mind through images. He'll attack your mind through uh, words that people say to you. And let's just stay with images. And so our mind has this bad image. And so that bad image begins as we dwell on that. And by the way, let me say this. Seeing a bad image out here, as I went through the airport today, I saw things that, you know, I had to bring all those into captivity under the obedience. Of Christ, and, and so those were, but guess me seeing something bad is not sinful, it's what I do with what goes through the eye that makes it sinful, amen. And so, so, the so here I am, the enemy attacked me in my mind. Now, if I don't bring that thought into captivity under the obedience of Christ, then what happens is I begin to dwell on that. And when you dwell on something wrong, then it begins, you have inappropriate thoughts, creates inappropriate emotions. And inappropriate emotions will cause you to do inappropriate things. Does that make sense? So this is simple. This is simple. The Spirit-filled life is what I'm talking to you about tonight. Is that would you please allow all that God is that is in you, allow Him to live through you. And renounce yourself every day and put Him on the throne of your life and ask Him to communicate and live and think and feel and walk through your life. Amen? That's the spirit filled life. And yet, you sit down with the average Baptist person and you ask them, explain to me the fullness of God's Spirit and the spirit filled life. They can't talk to you two minutes about it. You can, you know, during the Shang Tung Revival, I was referring to that, I think, with you today. Miss Bertha Smith was there in 1940. And when she was over there, I got the privilege of being around her a little bit. And she was there in the last revivals of China. Actually, revival is still going on in China. It's the fastest growing church in the world. It's just underground. But what spurred that revival that's going on there was this revival that happened in 1940. And Miss Bertha Smith was a Baptist missionary there. And she was going to this church, and revival broke out. And when church would get over, the pastor and his wife would stand on the right side of the exit door, and Miss Bertha would stand on the left. And the women always sat apart from the men. I don't like that at all. Amen. We're not going to get that spirit filled. Amen. I don't even sit on my platform anymore. I, just, I it, it was the other day I told the church, I am sick and tired of sitting 41 years without my wife in church. I walked off the platform and haven't been on it since. Hey, hey. Been six months. And, but anyway, I, I don't know why I said all that. But, but anyway, if she would stand on this side of the door, the women would walk past her and the, the men would walk past the pastor. And, and they always asked this question. They would say, are you genuinely... As you stand here before me, are you genuinely born again? And are you sure? And if they said, well, maybe so, or maybe I'm not sure, you know what they would do with them? They would say, go back in the church because it's too dangerous for you to go out there. You'll die and you'll go to hell without Christ. And then if they say, yes, I'm genuinely born again, they would say, okay, so you are. So then as you stand here, present tense, right with me right now, are you walking in full obedience and in the fullness of God's spirit? And they would say, well, I don't know if I am or not. They'd say, well, then you can't go out because you're, you're a bad billboard for Christ. That would change things in our churches, brother. You're nervous now, aren't you? If I'm standing at the door, I bet some of you go out that one. I'm going to try it tonight. Well, anyway... Um, we, we are this incredible being that God has made, and the spirit's been sealed up until the day of redemption, but the soul is under attack. Your mind, your emotions are under attack. And the devil knows if he can get your mind, get your emotions, get your emotions, you're going to have bad actions. Amen? Now, the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in the scriptures, it says, the spirit, capital S. And by the way, the red letters are mine, those aren't the words of Jesus, okay? I've made them red because I want to highlight them. The Spirit, capital S, beareth witness with our spirit, small s, that we're the children of God. Now, this is very, very important because sometimes in our testimony services, we'll say, uh, let's have a testimony service. Someone stand up and give testimony. Someone stand up and they'll say something like this. Uh, Back in 1964, September 1964, Jesus Christ saved my, and what do we say? Soul." but that's not true. Now, that blows you away, doesn't it? You say, oh, preacher, you're messing us up. He didn't save your soul initially. He raised your spirit from the dead initially. Well, look what it says. It didn't say the spirit bears witness with your soul you're a child of God. It bears witness with your spirit you're a child of God. And the reason why that is so is because, listen to me carefully, you cannot trust your soul. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, some of you wives, if you want to testify, you can tell me right now, your husband didn't act like Jesus today. <laughs> it's because he was soulish. He wasn't spiritual. Right? And you said you should have seen how he talked. You should have seen how he acted. That's because he was in the flesh. He was, in, he was living in the soul. Your soul is, is very fickled. Amen? And the way you think is fickle, and the way you act is fickle, amen? And the way, the way you conduct yourself. So, so what I'm saying is, really, it was your spirit that got raised from the dead. And we'll continue in that theme in just a moment. But let me prove it with this scripture here. In James, the Bible says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I don't know where my Bible is right now. Oh, there it is. Man, you got it. There you go. Thank you. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, here's my question. Is he talking to saved people or lost people? Someone tell me. Saved people. Why would he tell saved people and graph the word so you can get your soul saved? If they, your soul got saved when they got saved. Does that make sense to you? Come on, you can do this. Act like that doggy in the back window that you used to have. with me. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, look, does that make sense to you? James is writing to Christians. He knows that their spirit got saved, raised from the dead. But he also knows that their soul, the way you get your soul saved, is you engraft the word into your life. Come on. Oh, let me give you this. Your salvation came as a threefold work of God. Okay? It comes in a threefold work. Okay, in the original sense, in the beginning, back in 1964, when I got saved, my spirit got raised from the dead. Amen? Obviously, that was in the past. Okay? That on that day, that was the work of justification. Amen? In other words, God looks at me as if I've never sinned. Is that crazy or what? Amen? I mean, I'm standing here knowing me, living with me, knowing how I are, you know? And God looks at me as if I've never sinned. That is so wild to me. I preached that Sunday morning and Sunday night this, this past, yesterday, last week, yesterday. And, and you know what? I can't get over that. It, justification means just as if you've never sinned. That's how God views you. Now, that's in your spirit. He views your spirit that way. Now, in the future, you're going to get a new body. Amen? And that's the work of glorification on the day of resurrection. The blind are going to see. Amen? And the deaf are going to hear. Amen? Amen. And, and some of you are going to be able to sing. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and you will not have to have her adjust that. Amen? Amen? Some of y'all have hair. Yeah. Amen? See, we're going to be, amen? Some of y'all getting offended with me already. Great peace have they that love the law. Now, it, so we're going to get a new body one day. Now, the justification is a done deal, folks. I'm justified of all my, watch, past, present, and even my future sins. Do you hear what I just said? You say, well, I don't know if you're justified of your future sins. Well, then Jesus has to die again every time you sin, after you got saved. Did We sing it all the time, Jesus paid it what? All. He didn't pay part of it, he paid all of it, amen? And that, that's the reason why we can say we have eternal security, is because he takes care of all of our sins. Justified. You say, past, present, and future. Let me reverse that a little bit, okay? Let's go back over here to the cross. 2,000 years ago, everybody in this room, your sins were just future sins. you right? So really, he died for your future sins. And he took care of them all at that point. Amen? Now, the problem is, the warfare is this area right here, your soul, as I've been saying to you. That's in the present tense. And this is the work of sanctification. God's trying to bring it to where what? Now, watch this. God wants to bring it to where I have a sanctified mind. If I, if I live in a sanctified mind, then I have sanctified emotions. If I have sanctified emotions, then I have sanctified choices I make. And then people say, You're Christians. Yeah. The people call them at Antioch for the first time. They, the people call them Christians. And the, they didn't say, I'm a Christian. They weren't telling everybody that, but Lost Will was saying, you're Christians. Because why? Because they had sanctified minds, they had sanctified emotions, and their life was living sanctified lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what God wants to do with us in this place. Amen? Now, uh, moving into this, it'll all tie together. David took someone with high biblical intelligence. How many stones did David take down to the creek? You raise your hand up, if you would, please. Okay? (laughs) Seriously? Yeah, yes, ma'am. Five smooth stones. And why did he take five smooth stones? Does anybody know? Yes, sir. Goliath had four brothers. There you go. Exactly. He had four brothers. Man, this is a Bible church. Amen. And so David was uh, later on. David only killed one, one giant that day. But see, God equipped him at 17 to kill all five giants. He took five stones. But he only killed one. And that's pretty much the testimony of many of God's children is God has equipped us to do a better job than what we have. So David had to face these giants later on, as it says, 2 Samuel chapter 21 and 1 Chronicles chapter 20. And as David goes out in his 60s now, 61, 62, 63, around that time, David goes out to fight the other giants. The first giant's name was Ispionab, if that's not how he's supposed to say it. I'm not sure. Larry Brown just said, say it fast and no one knows. So Ishtenab, he was was a giant, and his name means proud, lofty, and lifted lifted up, an arrogant one. So here comes the giant of pride at David. David doesn't know what to do, but Abishai, his servant, says, Look, David, you're the light of Jerusalem. Go home, and I'll fight him for you. So David allowed Abishai to kill Ishtenab. Abishai's name means uh, grace. So David had to humble himself to receive God's grace to conquer pride in his life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right. And, and so what, that's the New Testament principle. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen? And all those giants, there's a whole series back there on the five giants. And the, all those giants, it's amazing how all the guys that helped slay those giants, their names, are the direct New Testament principle of conquering those particular giants. Well anyway, David faced these giants later on in life, and David had to watch this. David was young, could have conquered them, but he failed to completely conquer them and later on he needed help. And you say, What's the point? The point is this. There's probably in this crowd right here tonight, there's probably some of you, as you sit here, there's areas of your life that have never really been dealt with. Some things that may have happened in your life when you were a child, and when you think about them, it tugs at your heart. It may have been words that were said, or an abuse, or physical abuse, or something like that. It might have been you you were part of a church somewhere, and there was a church split, or there was someone that hurt you, but it's never really been dealt with. You say, well, how do you know it's not been dealt with? Well, every time you think about it, something jerks inside your emotions. You with me? And so, here's my point, is this. Now, watch this here. If this works. There it goes. Giants neglected today will come back to haunt us on another day. And what I don't want to do is finish this week out on Wednesday night when I'm done. I want to make sure all the giants of your lives have been slain before I leave here. So that what? You can walk in freedom and you don't have to be worried about facing that giant another day and another day. And then later on when you get older, you know what happens is, is if you don't deal with it, Let's say you got bitterness from the past, maybe something happened as a child, maybe toward your mom, toward your dad, or toward somebody, I don't know, and so you got bitterness toward them. But you just keep shoving it down, and you don't deal with it. Well, then what happens is, as you get older, the Bible says, comfort the feeble-minded, because as we get older, our minds become feeble. And as our minds become weakened, then we lose the ability to hold down those old emotions. And then what happens is, as we get older, we become bitter old people, and someone says, why are they so bitter? Why are they so mad? Why do they so act like that? Have you ever noticed someone that maybe they were a church-going person, but then they go to the nursing home and you go visit them and now they're cursing and they're cussing and, and they hate everything and they hate everybody and you go, what happened? Well, what happened was uh, there was something from the past, that a giant that was never slain. And now they don't have the strength to suppress the giant. Now he's risen up inside of them. And I know this, I don't want to die a bitter old man. I don't want my children to remember me like that. Amen. So all this is spiritual warfare, believe it or not. All this stuff I'm talking about is spiritual warfare. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, the Bible says this, Neither give place to the devil. Now the word place, as you see on the screen, means jurisdictional territory or legal rights to ground in your life. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians at Ephesus, and he's telling the church, not lost people, he's telling them, don't give legal right to ground in your life over to Satan. It literally means jurisdictional territory where he has a legal right to that ground. You say, well, how does that that happen? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, he said, what I want you to do, I'm going to give you and you're going to be in charge of everything. You're going to have dominion over the earth. Over the fowls of the air, over the beasts of the field. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? He made Adam and Eve in charge of everything. They, they, they had dominion over it. Well, then what happened was the devil came along, and he questioned God. And then what happened was when they ate of the fruit of that tree, then guess what happened? They gave the ground of the earth over to Satan. Right. You see what I'm saying? By disobedience, we give ground over to Satan. Every act of disobedience that you do, whether it's toward your mother, toward your father, toward your husband, toward pastoral authority here, or maybe, uh, I'm not going to go that far because you will get mad. If you speed in your car, you're you're giving ground over to Satan. You say, I don't believe that. Because you won't believe what you won't believe. You're a lawbreaker. You're a rebel. You're trespassing. Huh? So, 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 so we, we too give legal ground to Satan in our lives, and he's looking for legal ground. And by the way, Jesus said of him, he is the prince of this world. Jesus said three or four times, he's the prince of this world. You know, Jesus didn't refute that. Jesus supported that. And the reason why he supported it was because when God gave Adam and Eve the ground of the earth, then they gave it over to Satan when they disobeyed, and then he became the prince of this world. Amen? Amen. So, so you and I can give ground to our minds and our emotions and our wills over to Satan. The Bible tells us in First Peter, it says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And the word may is a permissible word, meaning what? That he's got to seek permission to take ground from your life. In other words, if the devil could, if the devil could. John? Jeff, huh? Jeff. There's a lot of J's in this church, okay? I've been trying to sort that all out. John's right there, okay? But let's just say, that here's one thing, Brother Jeff, is the devil cannot do. Now, he, if he could, he'd do it. He'd come in this door, he'd come over here, he'd grab you by the throat, and literally, Jeff, literally tear you apart like a lion. I mean, mutilate your body, kill you. But he can't do that. But, Jeff, if you give ground to him, permission to him, according to says, he seeks whom he may devour permission the devil is seeking permission from every child in this room and every adult and teenager to have permission to treat them like a lion would uh, uh, an animal somewhere you hear what I'm saying and he's come to devour your home and devour your your children and devour your marriage and devour your church it's warfare that we've got going amen And so the enemy is walking about like that. Now, there are ways that we give ground over to Satan. And the first way that we give ground, and that's not in any order. These are not like, okay, you do this one first and it leads to this. But this is one of the ways that we give ground over to Satan is that through generational iniquities. The Bible tells us in Exodus, it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. Now, I'm going to need a little bit of help here, okay? So, preacher, you're going to help me out. And uh, so what I want you to do is, um, uh, will you help me out, brother? What's your name? Bob, Bob, come up. Okay. His name's Job. John. Okay, Bob, you're going to be my grandpa, okay? All right? Brother Hooker, you're going to be my dad. All right. All right. Okay. Preacher, will you come help me out? Okay. Uh, You're going to be my son. How old are you? 30. Yeah, my son's older than you. I'm good feel bad, all right? Wow. And uh, let's see here. Um, my son, no, let's see, no, you're, no yeah, you're going to be my son, okay? Brother Matt, come here, okay? Stand right here and you're going to be me because I'm about your age. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's how this works this is my grandfather. My grandfather's name is Marvin E. Smith Sr., he was born in 1893, and that's the truth. Looks pretty good, oh. doesn't he? <laughs> My dad was born December the 8th, 1917. I was born in 1956. My son was born, in fact, his birthday was Sunday. He is 35 years old. He was born in na- 1983. And um, uh, will you help me out? Will you come here? Yeah, come here. You stand right over there. Because my grandson is Marvin E. Smith V. This is you. Now, we changed your name. Do you understand? What's your name? No, it's Marvin E. Smith V. fifth. <laughs> He's a hard learner, isn't he? he didn't what this Bible tells me, my Bible says his iniquity can be passed down even to the third, that's the first, the second, third, and fourth generation here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now someone said to me one time, and I said, well, wait a second. Now the Bible says that the sins of the fathers aren't going to, uh, you know, the generations have, I didn't say sins, I said iniquities. There's a difference between sins and iniquities. And if you don't understand that, I don't have time to tell you about it, okay? But it is a big difference between the two. In fact, well, I'll tell you this. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, it says, Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and and stubbornness is as iniquity. And so the stubbornness of this man in in, in areas of his life can be passed down from this generation to the next. You got that? In fact, the Bible tells us, because some people say, well, Deuteronomy annihilates that. Well, the problem with that, Jeremiah, way later after Deuteronomy comes along and says, we acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness. And the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. And the reason why I put, put personal responsibility is, is you can't blame him for what you do wrong. And you can't blame him. But we do know that because of his iniquities, we have a lower threshold in certain areas of our lives. Does that make sense? Okay. Now... What's this here? And uh, I'll try to build this so you understand it more. The Bible talks about, uh, in the scripture, about angels, and let me put some scripture up. It says, who maketh his angels, what? What's it say? Spirits, right. His angels are spiritual beings. And then it says, are they not all ministering spirits? Right? So really, angels are spirits. Am I right? Can we assume that with the scriptures? Right? Okay, now I'm going to talk to you about familiar spirits here, not like the Bible talks about, but the word familiar means family. If you look that up, it means family. So I believe that my grandfather, Marvin E. Smith I, or senior, born in 1893, I believe that there was a ministering angel in his life. We call them guardian angels. That's where we get that whole idea, guardian angels. And you can look in the Bible, and there were angels that showed up to protect people throughout the Bible. I believe there was a guardian angel, or a guardian what? Spirit that worked with my grandfather. But now wait a second. What was his angel or spirit doing before he was born? Was he sitting on a, a cloud up in the air on the unemployment list waiting for him to get born so he can go to work? No. What he was doing was he was working in his dad, with his daddy. It was a family spirit. You see what I'm saying? And so watch this here. So his family spirit really is, is in my family. It's the same one that took care of my dad, same one that takes care of me, the same one that takes care of my son, and the same one that takes care of my son's son. You said, that's crazy. Watch this. Remember, it says familiar, right? Now watch this. My grandfather was a cartoonist for the St. Louis Globe Democrat. In other words, when Eisenhower was president, he drew the funny cartoons about Eisenhower. And my dad was a commercial artist for Sears and Roebuck magazine. Years ago, Sears and Roebuck magazine was about that big. Some of y'all remember that? Amen? Okay, that's what you beat your kids with back then. Amen. (laughs) Well, anyway, instead of taking pictures of some things, they had an artist come in, and they would airbrush gloves and hats and dresses. My dad was the one that did the many for years for Susan Robot Magazine. He was an artist. I, I love the oil paint. Don't have time to do it anymore, but would love to get back to it. I like the letter billboards, and I used to do that in high school, make a little money on side. I used to letter our buses. And then my son loves commercial uh, uh, graphic arts. And so you see an artistic... Familiar spirit in my family. Do you see that? And so I, I didn't say autistic, I said artistic. <laughs> Art, artistic, okay? So this has been passed down in my family. Now, why would God do that? God would do that so that when we would get together, we would talk about stuff and enjoy our familiarity. My grandfather on my mother's side, Clyde Ramey, was a preacher. His son was a preacher. I are a preacher. My son is a preacher. My grandson's talking about being, you say, the callings of God are passed down. No, but the interest of it gets passed down in generation after generation. But the devil knows that. So what the devil does, he comes in and broadsides my grandfather with a stubbornness or a spirit of stubbornness in a certain area. And my grandfather, when he was, when I was growing up, he was a lost man. I got the him to Christ when he was 90 years old. Now I preached his funeral just a few months after that. It was such a neat thing to see and have him get saved. But, but my grandfather would go into the closet, and we'd watch him through my grandma's vanity mirror from the dining room, and he'd take a bottle of Jack Daniel down, and he'd take a shot glass, and he'd do this, and he'd go. And then, I never understood, he'd go do this. he go. Oh. I, why would you pour something down your throat that makes you do that? <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense, amen? And then he'd do, always did too, and he'd put another one, and he'd go. Pff, pff, pff. And they would wipe the glass, shot glass, hide it, and put that jack down behind some books. And take a thing called zin-zins. Anybody remember zin-zins? Okay, that's getting old, okay? <laughs> they didn't have certs, okay? They were little black things. They would knock a stink off a skunk, okay? And you put it in your mouth, and you can't smell the booze. Well, he'd come out of his bedroom, and we'd say, what have you been doing in there? He said, I've been taking my medicine. And we would, behind the scene laugh at him. Well, the problem with it was my grandfather was not only a drinker in the closet, but he was also a flirtatious man. And my dad comes along, and my dad is, became where he drank Budweiser in the morning, Budweiser at night. He pretty much stayed somewhat on a high all day long. He smoked cigarettes end to end, and he got married, divorced, and then married my mom. So you can see that his little closet thing is picking up momentum in my dad's life. Right. You see that? Well, now my brother who was born before me, 14 months before me, my brother comes along and he gets hooked on on cigarettes when he was 14. He begins to drink booze when he was 15. My baseball coach introduced him to that. Thank the Lord for our baseball coach. And and then my brother became very immoral in his life. My brother became a drug lord. My brother began married and divorced, married, divorced, married and divorced. And I lived with a woman. Do you see that what one generation does in moderation, the next generation begins to do in excess? Can you see that? Thank you, gentlemen. You can have a seat. And so what we have is we have generational iniquities in our lives that literally, literally are passed down from one generation to the next. Let me ask you a question. How many of you right now, now stay with me, how many of you right now, you're thinking about your family? Maybe you see, I was counseling this lady, and she was talking about suicide. She's about fifty years old. Talking about suicide, and I said to her, because I like to be inquisitive, I said, "Have you had anybody in your family commit suicide?" She stopped. And she said, "Oh yes, we have five generations of suicide." See, a spirit of death and depression has come upon that family. And it's being passed down from one generation to the next. Maybe you know your mom was depressed. You're depressed. Maybe your dad was full of anger. That was my wife's generational iniquity. Her dad was a a time bomb. Oh, you never knew when he was going to go off. And then when I've married this sweet blonde lady. She was a time bomb waiting to go off. And we then we discovered in 1978 about our generational iniquities, and guess what we did? We broke those generational iniquities. We never talked about divorce. Talked about murder, but not divorce. (laughs) Well, it says till death do you part, not divorce. Amen. So anyway, so it was being uh, hers was anger. And we were able to break that. And what a wonderful thing it is to see my children not suffer with the same generational iniquities that we had in our life. Now, how many of you sitting here tonight, we're just going to raise your hand. I'm not going to tell you what, you don't have to tell me what it is. How many of you right now can recognize stuff that's been passed out from one generation to the next? Raise your hand up real high so everybody can see it, okay? You can recognize it. So Get it back up there. I want everybody to look around, okay? Okay, the rest of you need to figure it out because it's happening. Okay, you can put your hands down. That's a door. And if you don't break that area of your life that Satan has started, then guess what? The next generation will do it in excess. The next door we want to talk about is the door of abuse. This door right here can show up in these categories right here. Physical, mental, verbal, and emotional and sexual abuse. We're living in a very, very strange day. Six out of ten girls will be violated against their will by the time they're 18, and two out of one out of every six boys. That's crazy. That's real crazy. We have a lot of physical, we have mental, we have verbal abuse. In fact, the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. I, I'm sure, I'm looking across this crowd, I think that we have a good group of people here. I think you love the Lord. But can I tell you something tonight? Did you know that you can put a curse on your children? You should never say to your son, you're stupid, you're an idiot, you'll never amount to anything. I can't believe you, why aren't you like your brother? Now let me tell you why he's not like his brother, because he's not his brother. Isn't that real scientific? God didn't want him to be like his brother. That's why you're not like your brother. Amen? And so what I'm saying to you, a lot of times we say words in our homes to our wife, to our husband. And, and, and these words, they do such damage. I, I don't know how much truth there is. I, I'm sure I could find out, but I was reading this just a long time ago, over two decades ago. I was reading that, like in a building like this, my words are going all over this building right now. Amen? They're bouncing off the walls. Did you know that, that as we sit here, radio waves are going through here? Amen? I mean, they're in the room right now. The only thing is, is we don't have a receiver picking them up. And did you know they're saying that this, just like radio waves go on forever. They don't stop. They go on forever. But they weaken as it goes. And same thing with our voices. If we're in a home where there's a lot of verbal abuse, those words begin to cause damage in that home. And they resonate in in our wall and in the atmosphere of our home. And when we say things like, I hate you, and I can't stand you, and I and, uh, wish you were never born, and that we didn't really want another child, and, and uh, you know what, I, I'm not even sure I should have married you. Do you understand those words, are death words, curse words? And we have it all the time in our homes. Children hear it and they, they walk accursed. I remember sitting in my office and a man walked in my office. He's a sheriff in our town. He walked in right after I moved to Fort Dodge and, and he walked right in in his sheriff's outfit. He stood right in front of my desk. Never met him before in my life. And he's crying. And he says, I hear his voice. I hear this voice. It goes on and on in my head. And I thought, Wow, this guy's he's got some problems. And I said, well, whose voice is it? It says, you're stupid, you're dumb, you'll never amount to anything. And why don't, we never wanted you anyway. You were an accident. You came late in life. We didn't want to have another child. I said, is that your dad's voice you hear? He said, yes, I hear it all the time. And you know what the problem with it is? The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so as he continues to think about his dad's words and they resonate in his heart, they curse him to never amount to anything. And so we have these words, and you say, well, preacher, I've been abused. Some way or another, I've been abused. Maybe one of those categories right up there. Well, the Bible teaches us that God, Jesus dealt with those things in the Scriptures. The Bible says that Jesus was abused in every aspect of these, this category. You say, what do you mean? Let's ask this question. Was Jesus uh, or physically abused? Was he mentally abused? Verbally abused? abused? Emotionally abused? Okay, and the next question is Was he sexually abused? That's hard for you to swallow, isn't it? Now, listen to me. The Bible says he suffered in all points. We don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he suffered in all points. He said, Seriously? I'm serious. In fact, I can tell you what happened when he's 33 years old. They stripped him naked and hung him in front of his own people and his mother. That would be, in our day, sexual abuse. He had, to be, he had to suffer at all points. So that what? So that if you go through that, Jesus is saying, I've been there and I understand. And I'm going to tell you how to deal with it. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the only way that you can ever be free from the abuse of your past is not that you just try to forget about it and not that you just try to suppress it. The only way you can get rid of it is this, is you've got to be willing to forgive those who've hurt you. Everybody that's ever hurt you, you got to let them off the hook of your emotions. Totally. Because you see, if you don't hurt people, will keep hurting people. Some guy says, I was talking to someone the other day, this uh, dear lady, her husband's an evangelist. He goes out the door, she says, with his Bible on his arm. He goes out there, looks great, goes out, preaches sharp people get saved everybody praises him he comes to the door when he comes home throws his bible down goes into a ranting and raving and can't get along with anybody and the kids never do anything right and why isn't this house like this and he's so mad all the time she can't do anything and and then the next night he puts his coat on and he puts his bible on his arm and she's there with the kids and he walks out and he's mr nice guy what is wrong with that you know what's wrong with that hurt people hurt people Heal people, heal people. And he's never dealt with something. And the problem with him right now is he doesn't want to talk to me about that. He'll come to himself. If he sits by himself long enough, his wife and kids are gone. And so, the only de- way well, you can deal with your closing the door to abuse, you can see, abuse will open up your life to demonic activity through the bitterness of your heart. That causes demonic activity. Everybody with me, Okay. Okay, the next door is sensual sins. Now, I believe personally that this is the strongest door of them all. Adultery, fornication, pornography, homosexuality. Adultery, we'll define that for the sake of uh, some married man or woman that they're not faithful to their husband or, or their spouse, their wife. Or uh, Fornication would be, in my idea, sensual activity before marriage. Obviously, we've got pornography. We know what that is in this day and hour, and then homosexuality. Homosexuality is a is an upcoming problem in Baptist churches. In Baptist churches. In fact, I've got three or four cases of that going on right now in Baptist churches. And you say in the in Baptist churches? Yeah, in, in Baptist churches. It's not that they want it, it's there. You say, Well, it's not right. Well, who's gonna win them? Aren't we going to love them like we love everybody else with their sin problems? Some of y'all are trying to debate on that one right now. Well, you're a Pharisee then. Give me an independent Baptist church that has a ministry to homosexuals. There ain't one. The evangelicals have them. Didn't Jesus die for them? For God so loved the world. Oh, you'll have to ponder that because you've already been, you're, you're, you're anyway, we're, we're, our thinking is off. Yeah, come on. When it touches your own family, you'll get it. Right. As I sat with a pastor the other day and his dear wife, and he's my age, and he said, Preacher, my daughter is a lesbian. She graduated from a Bible college, Soul Winner of the Year voted most likely to succeed she's a lesbian your temperament changes when it enters invade your own ranks right. amen yeah. yep. you say well not me bless god well yeah i know huh. and the essential sins Central sins assault the lordship of Jesus Christ in the life of the believer. And this door is the most destructive of all the doors and it destroys the foundation of our marriages and it corrupts the seed of our offspring. First Corinthians says, Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. What does that mean? That means this, according to the scriptures, my members, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my nose, my mouth, my ears, my legs, my mind, my emotions, and my will. They are all members of Christ. Right. And then he says, are you going to take the very members of Christ and make them members with a harlot? Now, do you understand what he just said that? What he said that if I look at something inappropriate on my laptop, I'm used, my eyes are his eyes. Come on. And if I look with his eyes at that, then I'm forcing him to look at that. If I go do something immoral outside of the boundaries uh, that God's given me, so if, I, if I do something outside of my marriage vow with somebody, then guess what I'm doing? I'm taking Jesus there. That's what it's teaching. And he goes on to say, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication, run from it, get away from it. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's interesting about this one here, because listen, all the other sins, they do not engulf the entire being. But sensual sins take up, it literally overtakes the mind, it overtakes the emotions, it overtakes the will, and overtakes, it damages your spirit, and it does damage to your body. We know that, the Bible teaches us that, the, the, amen, they'll receive a wound that doesn't go away. Amen? This one here invades all your entire being, that's why it's so strong today. The Bible talks about in the last day we have seducing spirits. We have that in this country right now. What know you not? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Why do you say in your spirit? Because that this sin engulfs the whole being. <coughs> and maybe you've morally failed. Maybe you morally failed before you got married. Maybe you morally failed while you've been married. It'd be good for you to close that door once and for all. You say, it was a long time ago, I know it, That you better close it. Right. Because on a bad day, now that you've already tasted of the wrong, on a bad day, at a sad moment, at a weak moment, you could step right back into it just like you did before, yep. unless that door has been genuinely closed and the power that's been broken in your life. We have another door called the occult practices. There are several up here that I've listed, horoscopes, Ouija boards, fortune telling, tarot cards, seance, psychics, levitation, uh, palm reading, Dungeons and Dragons, Harry Potter, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and Bloody Mary and Spiritism. And you might be looking at that and going, I don't know what some of that is. Don't worry about it. If you don't know what it is, be glad you don't know what it is. But these are the things that these young people would come to my home and they had been involved in. I'm talking about young people that little girl's Filipino girl, arms aren't that big, 90-some pounds, almost able to tear a hospital door off its hinges because she was so full of rage and bitterness and demonic influence because she had been introduced to the demon world through these activities. You say, well, I just look at my horoscope as a game. I just played with the Ouija boy when I was a little girl. It was just a game at a little slumber party. First of all, let me say this. I would never let my kids spend the night with anybody anyway. Amen. Anybody. Amen. Unless it was my, their grandparents. I wouldn't let them spend the night with them. But my point here is, is this. is These are all demonic things. Do you have skunks down here? Do you? Well, let's just say a skunk came running in here, okay? As the skunk comes running in here. And... Uh, I turn to John, John right here, okay? And I say, John, will you get the skunk and get it out of here? And John's a nice guy. So he grabs, he chases the skunk over here and he runs out the door with the skunk. And after he throws the skunk outside the door, he comes in and sits down by Amy. And when he sits down by Amy, Amy's gonna, what's she gonna do? She ain't gonna sit there, amen? (laughs) Right? And you say, well, look, John wasn't, John was just, getting rid of the skunk he was just he wasn't wanting to harm it it was kind of like he was kind of playing with it to get rid of it but here's the problem in the demonic realm you can play with it but it takes you serious and you'll always come out with something on you when you play with their stuff always we call them hitchhikers in our ministry a hitchhike on your life and on a bad day at a weak moment they'll begin to influence you and i'll have time to develop that but i can prove that with you okay maybe you've done these things you say, I don't do them anymore, okay? That's not what I said, but if you've ever done them and you've never really renounced the power that that left on your life, the stink that it left on your life, you need to do that. Right. The other, another one is movies or video games. Movies or video games. We have sensual movies. Job came along and here's what he says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? And we, we watch central things in movies. The truth of the matter is, if I were to ask you to tell me the most central movie you ever watched, you may not remember the name, most of you would, but many of you would remember the scene. Because your brain operates that way. You say, how why does it operate that way? Let me tell you why. Your brain has something in it that I call developer. And that developer is not moral, and is not immoral. And what it does is when you see something that stirs you up emotionally, then however deep the emotions are stirred according to what you saw, that, the depth of that emotions that goes to the depth of your memory banks. Everything that you see, you'll always, in your brain, you'll always remember that I had this tie on. Now you say, I won't remember that tie. That's an ugly tie. Now listen to me. You will remember it, but you will have no reason to recall it. That's why you won't bring it up. But for instance, here I was in 1976, 4 o'clock in the afternoon at 300 West Springfield Road, First Baptist Church, St. Clair, Missouri. I'm standing down front in my tuxedo, right? The double doors open up. This little blonde girl and her daddy step through the door, and she's in a long bridal dress, amen? Her name's Alice. His name's Tom. I'm standing there in my bell-bottom tuxedo. Amen. What's wrong? Y'all quit wearing them down here? We still wear them up there. And and I'm standing there in my dingo boots. Some of you go, dingo boots. These guys know what dingo boots were. I'm standing there in my dingo boots my bell-bottom tuxedo. I'm looking there, and here comes that girl through the door, and her dad leans over. I remember vividly, he leans over and whispers something in her ear, and I'm watching them. And she goes, I'm like, oh, boy, what's going on? Then here they come down the aisle, who gives us Fridays, so her mother and I. And then we get married, and we go in that car, and we're going down the highway to our honeymoon, and I said, what did your dad say back there? She said, if you he said, if you want me to, I'll go down there and tell that jerk it's all off. <laughs> I remember the details of that day. You know why I remember the details? I remember, honestly, I remember the, the, uh, not pe- the peach-colored flowers in her bouquet. What well, that was 41 years ago. I remember that. Forty-one-and-a-half years ago, I remember the peach-colored ribbon in her dress and her flowers. And why do I remember that? Because it was so emotional to me, it made such a deep impression into my mind. But here's what happens. The devil knows that's how it works. So what he does, he sends a pixel, a picture on the Internet, a magazine, somewhere else, a billboard. And it stirs the essential emotions. And it stirs it deep enough that your developer is not moral or immoral. And it thinks you want to remember it because you've been stirred so emotionally. And you lingered there too long. And now that's put into your, your memory banks, deep in your memory banks. And on a bad day, the devil allows those images to come up and be used against you. So we have central videos and movies that we, people watch. And we have uh, fearful. The Bible says, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear. We have all these fearful movies. Fearful people are into this stuff, and then we have uh, violent movies. Murder. They'll say a teenager will have seen thirty-three thousand murders by the time that they're out of high school. By watching television. Look what David said. David says, "I will set no wicked. Th- I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes." I lamentation says, affects my heart. What's your name? Kobe. Kobe? Is this your wife? Okay. Y'all know each other? Okay, I gotta get... <laughs> I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I was looking for a married couple here. Okay, brother. Josh, Josh and Emily. Emily. Okay. So Josh and Emily, I'll pick on you. I'll leave you alone, okay? Pastor doesn't, well, they, I'll leave you alone. <laughs> so Kobe here and his family is, they're in their living room, and, and the family's sitting there, and they got popcorn, and they're watching a, a nice movie. Not a bad one, a nice one. They're sitting there watching, it's movie night around the house. I mean, they chose it, it's the right one. Nothing wrong with the right one. And as they're sitting there, all of a sudden the door opens up, Kobe. Your house door opens up and a man comes running in and he's cursing and he's cussing and he's running and he's screaming and he's saying he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He runs over here against this wall and another man comes into your living room off the street and he's got a gun and he's going to shoot this guy. I know by looking at you, Kobe, just what you would do because your family's there. You know what you'd do? You'd say, get her. Get him, sweetheart. Get him. <laughs> I mean, looking at you, I can tell that's what you do. No, you know what you'd do? You would stop that man because you're not going to let anybody shoot somebody in front of your kids. And you'd stop them because they were cursing in your home. Am I right? Yes, sir. Then why, in, why is it that we allow the television to have kill people in front of our kids and curse in front of our children? I'm trying to figure this out. Oh, I know what you thought. Well, oh, that's TV. They're just acting. Can I tell you something? Some of the things they do is not acting. They get paid to do it, and they film it. Are we so naive? And so we have demonic activity that can come in through these images. And I'm going to quit here. You've been listening to me for an hour and 20 minutes. That's a long time. I wouldn't listen to me 20 minutes. (laughs) We'll cover the rest of the doors tomorrow night, but listen to me carefully. We don't, I'm gonna give an invitation tonight. But listen to me carefully. If you don't deal with these doors, you said, Where'd you get these doors? I'm telling you, after working with hundreds and hundreds of people, I began to take notes after note after note and see patterns that the devil was using to bring demonic activity into people's lives. I don't want to see people walk in freedom. Amen? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, let's bow our head and close our eyes. The question I have tonight, though, in this moment is, how many of you would say, Pastor, I have one or more doors open in my life. No one's looking around. Would you slip your hand up and let me see that right there? Yes, 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 yes. Anybody else? Yes. Put your hand down. Thank you. How many of you would say this, Pastor? I want the doors closed. I want freedom. And by God's grace, I'll be here tomorrow night because I want to hear how to walk in freedom and not pump to survive the rest of my life. Would you slip your hand up right there? You'll be here tomorrow night, okay? That's wonderful. Now, how many of you would say, I know somebody that could have used this. I know somebody that could have used this. Would you slip your hand up right there? Now, would you please call that person and just invite them? You can't hurt them by inviting them. Just in plead with them and say, please come. And what we'll do tomorrow night, we'll do a very, very brief review, very brief, and we'll jump in the rest of the doors. And then we're going to teach you how to close the doors, how to break and renounce the influence of demonic activity over ground that we've given over to Satan. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this incredible.